it's easier than a lot of people think to, to actually go out and talk to the originators of certain knowledge or people that are synthesizing new things from existing research and, and talk to them. And, and when you approach them as equals, instead of approaching them like you're you know, imposing them uh, on them in some way, the results have generally been good. Episode 106, May 2015. This is part one of my Q&A with Obi Fernandez, proclaimed author, founder of Hashrocket and CTO at Andela. My name is Obi Fernandez and I am Chief Technical Officer of Andela. Um, I am responsible for recruitment of participants in our educational program and also for the training component of what we work on, and uh, also the technical systems that we employ uh, internally to accomplish that program. How did you get into working with code? Yeah, well, uh, interestingly enough, the the era that I was born into, uh, I, I guess I was pretty lucky in a way. I was um, born in 1974, so I was uh, when I was a kid, I was right in that sweet spot of uh, when you know computers were. Um, very much like a, a hobbyist thing, and in and, and third grade, I, I was in the gifted program in, in my elementary school, and a big component of the gifted program was uh, working with the Apple II and with Commodore PET computers, learning programming and various things related to computers. So that was my my first exposure to programming at a very young age. So you know, basic on the Commodore and Logo on the on the Apple. How did you progress from that point on? Um, I took an interest uh, in it, and we had a VIC twenty uh, at home. And I don't, I don't even necessarily remember all of the details uh, about it very clearly. But I know that my my best friend and I, uh, my best friend Nate, and we would. Um, Get copies of the of the programming magazines, and you know, copy the source code uh, of programs, and, and we basically taught ourselves. And it was also, I guess, my first exposure to pair programming, although it would be a long time before anyone called it that, right? But yeah, it was uh, you know, on, on the Commodore, it basically involved like if you wanted to save a program, you had to save it onto a cassette, and then you know, if you wanted to load it, you had to play it from the cassette. And I, you know, I remember pretty vividly the process of that, and and also that it was kind of error prone. <laughs> And and I remember that over over the years we we started to get pretty good at it. He he was always a little better than I was, but um, you know we dove into some pretty interesting and, and deeper kinds of programming tasks, like having to um, understand how how some of the processor architecture worked on the Commodore and having to to peek and poke into certain memory uh, addresses and things like that, and basically getting into I suppose what would be considered a assembly level kinds of programming um, to make some of the video games we were trying to do. So like um, one in particular was like a, a vertical scrolling driving game, kind of like Spy Hunter. And, um, you know, it, it, I don't know, it kind of set my, my mind in that mindset like that, like it was cool and it was something that I was completely capable of doing. And then later, you know, we got an IBM PC at home at some point. My, my friend Nate got an IBM PC Junior and then he worked on some of that stuff and I was kind of in and out of it as a hobby. But I was, I was very lucky because it set me on that path from, from a young age. Was it very common at that age to have um, a Commodore or an IBM at home or was that solid middle class? 
I think it was I think it was fairly common for for the middle class, and there was definitely um, I mean it was nerdy. It, it wasn't like the the mainstream thing, and also like uh, our friend Tony had a had a modem and he would dial into BBSs and get wares and things, and so we had some exposure to that as well. And it was something that you know just kind of my little social subgroup uh, was into, and get you know gave us uh, exposure to some of the hacker scenes and stuff like that. So you know, and then when, when we were a little older, like the movie Hackers came out and stuff like that. So it was. It was like a cool thing to be into, you know, like like before any of us knew that we would eventually be able to make, uh, you know, very good careers out of it. Mm-hmm. So that was in the 80s, I guess, right? That was, uh, yeah, in the 80s, late 80s, you know, early 90s. What is the setup for writing code these days? Uh, these days, uh, you know, since writing code is not my, my primary thing, like, I, uh, and hasn't been for... For many years now, I guess for several years, at least since I started Hash Rocket, I never got into the you know heavy use of Vim. I, I was with uh, you know using TextMate for for a while, and then moved into Sublime as that became popular. And would say I'm pretty much um, a fairly expert user of Sublime, and have it you know kind of customized to to my own desires, <laughs> or, you know, or whatever you want to call it. But yeah, you know, generally speaking, uh, these days I do a lot of. Uh, FanStack, which is Firebase, Angular, Node. Uh, a lot of our internal systems at Anandela are written in FanStack. We we have some Rails stuff as well, and also some Python stuff. Uh, although I'm I'm touching that less and less. Do you like working from home, office, coffee shop? What works best for you? I work in a, a home office. I have a, a comfortable setup, a room you know that's kind of dedicated to to my work environment. It has a beautiful view. You know, I have a 27-inch monitor uh, for my laptop, and then just a few weeks ago, I got a 5K iMac, which has you know the the big resolution. Actually, works as a, a very good home uh, you know machine to use. But I, I was using a 27-inch iMac for for a while. I, I love having the you know the power and the big screen, and like just having a, a setup that is stable and and is on my desk and doesn't have to move around. You know, I have a 13-inch um, MacBook Pro, which is my my travel machine. I just find that you know, for communications, it's okay. But it, once you start getting to programming, like the lack of screen real estate actually becomes a, a big issue. Do you get up early, normal, super late? Uh, I get up generally around six six thirty. My partner is a is a school teacher. She has to get up that early, so it makes it easier to to get up that much, you know early in the morning. But also since I started at Andela six months ago, it's it's very convenient to to start work earlier rather than later because we have overlap. Uh, you know, want to maximize overlap by starting work earlier. Uh, you know, they're in uh, GMT plus one, and I'm on the East Coast, so the the earlier I start, the more time I get with them during core hours. Do you have a daily routine? Yeah, um, I I think uh, <laughs> the I don't know how common this is nowadays, but you know, generally speaking, I do do roll out of bed and look, uh, or even before I roll out of bed, you know, just kind of check check on email, uh, check on the on uh, the schedule for the day. Um, I'm lucky enough to have an executive assistant, so by the time I'm waking up, she has already. Uh, Sent me a list of my meetings for the day, and kind of you know to give me a heads up. Or she'll call me uh, early if I you know have anything specific going on. And then I, I don't know. I travel a lot, so I guess r- routine is a difficult question to answer. You know, it varies between what, if I'm in Africa or if I'm in New York at our headquarters. It, it really, really depends. 
What about sports or exercise? Are you a fan of that? Uh, yeah, I have a, a membership at LA Fitness and I have a uh, personal training package. I mean, for me, uh, I don't particularly enjoy exercising uh, just for the sake of exercising. I, I get the benefits of it and I and I certainly love the, the effects, but uh, I get bored very easily. So, um, you know, it's hard for me to just go to the gym and get enjoyment from the exercise for the sake of exercising. So um, what I found at Hash Rocket when I, when I could afford it was that working with a personal trainer was actually quite convenient because I could leave the thinking about what needed to be done and how to do it and stuff like that to the trainer and then the trainer's pushing you and it's it's a really good way to do it so um you know i have a package at la fitness which i've not been using enough it's actually a good reminder to go ahead and schedule some appointments but i do that up to three times a week and it's uh, it's pretty awesome what are you famous or infamous for I think, although not so much uh, anymore, uh, you know, I did kind of create a, a bit of personal branding earlier in my career for being, you know, a bad boy or rebel or, you know, just kind of speak his mind and, and tell it how it is. And, and you know, that, that served me well. And I've become less arrogant or at least get accused less often of being arrogant uh, these days. So I think I've let that aspect of my branding kind of fade away i mean i'm i'm most famous for the rails way for having written the rails way and being considered you know like the one of the the key people in the ruby on rails space and th that's useful uh and uh, you know it's, it certainly has helped me a lot it helped me with hash rocket and and still helps me today uh you know when it comes to to sourcing clients for andela and also for sourcing talent and collaborators infamous uh you know <laughs> it's probably the same answer uh you know essentially How do you learn stuff? I uh, I tend to read a lot. Uh, I think I rely on reading and uh, analysis and, and research more than I do on uh, audiovisual. Like I'm particularly bad at. I, I don't generally listen to podcasts. Uh, no offense, <laughs> you know. I don't generally uh, watch videos of conference talks and things like that. Or if I do, I skip through it or look for the slides or transcripts. I actually tried to do screencasting. For my publisher, they were very hot on that, and uh, my brain just doesn't work that way. Like you know, I tried to sit down and 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 kind of create it, but I think since this is not something that I use for learning myself, it was very incredibly hard for me to like make a practice out of creating the material myself. So um, so basically, I, after failing at it, I I just stopped <laughs> trying. But in general, yeah, my my head works in a in a very kind of particular way to me, I think. So I, I like to have control over the the way that I gather and process the information. And, and to that end, uh, you know, the, the heavy kind of reading and research and or, or having conversations with people that have experience. So, you know, I teach this to, to my, you know, to the participants in the Andela program. And it's been a topic of conversation quite often uh, lately, but basically encouraging them to seek out mentors and and you know if i'm researching something like you know for instance firebase was something that i was getting heavily into uh last summer and if i got stuck on something and i couldn't figure it out like i would just reach out directly to whoever was involved in, in writing it in some cases actually going through to, to some of the people that were working at firebase themselves so i think that's harder for junior people to do uh because it takes confidence But over the years, you know, I've just seen that people are generally disposed to help, especially if it's something of their creation. And the same applies to uh, other kinds of research. Like, you know, I had a, I had a, a, a startup called Do Props, and, and we did a lot of 
uh, work in the employee recognition field. And I, during that time, I was studying intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. And as I would go through the, the research material that was available out there, and I actually gathered quite a bit of white papers and, and original research and reached out to some of the authors of that research and actually got conversations going with some, some of the players in the field. And it's, uh, it's easier than a lot of people think to, to actually go out and talk to the originators of certain knowledge or people that are synthesizing new things from existing research and, and talk to them. And, and when you approach them as equals, <laughs> instead of approaching them like you're you know, imposing them uh, on them in some way, the results have generally been good. But I do acknowledge that this is something that takes uh, you know, quite a bit of confidence, I think, to pull off successfully. <laughs> 